0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. This is your host, Michael Schaefer. Let's get into it. We're now two weeks into the war between Israel and Hamas and people are starting to get a bit bored. People are like, it's hard to kind of maintain the social media presence on this one when can we go back to Ukraine and Russia? That was easy. We liked that war. We had an easy way of looking at that. There was a good guy. There was a bad guy. When do we get back to Ukraine and Russia? This one's complicated. It's moving very fast, this war. This war is moving very fast. People's attention spans cannot maintain a war that goes for longer than two weeks. I mean, TikTok videos have trained us to really consume content in seven-second videos, really. And wars tend to last far longer than seven seconds. I often go for for years. This one's just going on and on and on, and it's moving rapidly. It's hard to know where to put your attention. I mean, first, there was the attack on Israel, and then there was the, beha- the babies apparently being beheaded, and then everyone was arguing about how many babies were beheaded that was like a discourse that was happening on the internet some people were like there were 40 babies that were beheaded and that's why you have to side with israel and then other people i like, know it was only like 12 babies that got beheaded and that's why you have to side with hamas and it's like really is this is this what the debate is about and that shifted really quickly then it came down to uh, the turning off of, of the water and the electricity, and the food to the people of Gaza, and everyone was like, "You're starving." Everyone, that's what the discourse was like. It was like, "Hey, you're you're starving, millions of people, and that's a war crime." And then other people were like, "Yeah, but they're they're trying to get the hostages back, and that's kind of also a war crime." So just that was the discourse for a bit, and now there was a, a someone blew up a hospital. And that, now we're talking about the hospital being blown up. And it's like we were just talking about babies being beheaded three days ago. Now we're already onto the, the hospital. We've forgotten about the babies. Now we're onto the hospital. Everyone's trying to decide who blew up the hospital. Was it Israel deliberately blowing up the hospital? Was it Hamas misfiring a rocket that accidentally landed on the hospital and killed all these people? We don't know. Everyone's analyzing it. No one's going to get to the bottom of it. I, I mean... I think people are fascinated by the hospital thing because it's, it's a true crime. People love true crime. That's a, a burgeoning area. It's a huge genre. People love true crime. And this is uh, potentially one of the truest crimes that we've seen recently. I mean, a war crime is a crime. So it's exciting to... F- people just treat this... I guess my one is people are treating this war where there is just inhumanity and barbarity and brutality being committed and there's so much human suffering. And here in the West, it's kind of like just uh, we're viewing it as entertainment, basically. It's just like, oh, we turn on the TV. Oh, what's the what's the barbaric atrocity being committed today? And And, and who's done it this time? And how does this align with my preconceived ideologies and views on this conflict? So they're trying to work out who who blew up the hospital. I don't think you're ever going to find out who blew up the hospital because neither side wants to get to the bottom of who blew up the hospital. I'm pretty sure both sides are going to be blowing up that hospital a few more times over the course of this war just to get rid of the evidence. Because right now, the UN is saying, well, if we can get some investigators in, we can analyze the shrapnel and we can work out the bomb blast radius and the direction of the Missile we and then we can work out who did it and both sides are like let's not let's not look into that right now. there's a lot going on right now. let's in, in fact both sides are like let's let's keep carpet bombing that area and blob all the evidence because it's too risky to find out the truth here because if you're Hamas you don't want to be exposed that you accidentally blew up 500 of your own people. And if you're Israel, you also don't want it to be exposed that you accidentally killed 500 uh, men, women, and children in a hospital. Because both sides in this conflicts, quite, in a very funny turn of events, are fighting a PR war inside of a war war. And the PR war is, some might say, almost as important as the actual war. Because the PR war determines who gets funding and who, and who and which allies you get to have in the war. So if Israel maintains its stance as the good guys and as with the high moral ground, then they will maintain funding from their Western allies, particularly the US, and they'll keep getting those those funds and those missiles and those weapons. Whereas if Hamas can maintain its side as the righteous one, as fighting against the oppressor, then they maintain their support from Iran and some other Arabic nations. And of course, they also maintain support from a lot of left-leaning people in the West who like to align themselves with the oppressed. So that's why you see like, the Black Lives Matter movement getting behind the Palestinians because they can see some sort of common sense of oppression in their two stories. Similarly, we saw the indigenous um, leaders like... Lydia Thorpe get behind Palestine here in Australia because they support the rights of oppressed people. So it kind of makes sense. But you gotta you gotta maintain a moral uh, reputation in order to ensure that you have that support. So no one wants to find out who blobbed the hospital. Everyone's like, let's never get to the bottom of this. Let's blob that hospital 12 more times and just make sure that let's get rid of all the shrapnel, all the witnesses. Just eradicate that place from the map because we don't want to find out who blew up the hospital. That's, that is a mystery that will never be solved. There will be multiple Netflix documentaries about that explosion, but no one's ever going to find the truth about what happened there because it's it's just too risky. Both sides are trying to win the PR battle. This is how much like, Hamas is trying to win the PR battle. They've just released a couple of hostages which I think is good. That is a good thing. And the two hostages that they released were these two very elderly Israeli ladies. And they, of course, they filmed themselves like releasing the hostages and returning them to Israel. And it was a nice piece of, I guess, propaganda from Hamas to be like, hey, we're not all bad. You know, the other week, you know, you were talking about the babies being beheaded. But this week... We're letting the old ladies go. So, can we talk about that for a little bit? And it kind of has worked because when I go on Twitter now, that's all people are talking about. They're like, Hamas is coming to the table. They're releasing the old ladies. These are good people. They don't want to hurt the old ladies. And in the video, there's an old lady like turning back to shake the hand of one of the Hamas dudes uh, as she leaves, which I think is quite, quite nice. That's quite touching. I mean, I've left Airbnbs on worse terms than this old Israeli lady has left her Hamas captors. I once left an Airbnb. I couldn't work out where to leave the keys. And then I ended up just like leaving the keys on the kitchen bench. And as I left, I messaged the guy being like, hey, the keys are on the kitchen bench. And the guy was like sending me messages in all caps locks you know, very angry being like, no, you meant to leave them in the lockbox because now the cleaner can't come in to clean the apartment. And remember, we're charging you $700 for the cleaning fee because this is the Airbnb and this is how we make our money. I was like, I'm so sorry. The keys are on the bench. I'm already at the airport. There's not much I can do. And then he was like, it's okay. I've got another set of keys. So like this guy was just yelling at me and, and had a huge fight with me. And then he was like, oh, actually, I've got a set of keys. It's it's totally fine. My point is that was quite an acrimonious Way to end that relationship. I haven't spoken to that man since, and I, the, you know, we, I both, we both felt a bit awkward about the exchange. Whereas this lady has just been taken hostage at gunpoint, like ripped out of her home, been kept in a tunnel underground somewhere in Gaza for a week, and on the way out, she's shaking this guy's hand, which I got to say is nice to to see. I'm looking forward to seeing the review that she leaves online. I think that it would be nice to see what the Hamas hospitality is like. Because I did an interview, where I read the interview it was fascinating. They were like, you know, what was it like you know, being a prisoner of Hamas for for a week or more. And she said, look, it wasn't great, but they were very attentive and they were they had a, a doctor to help us. And then she also added they were very across the whole female uh, hygiene thing you know they'll across the idea of you know women having periods and perhaps needing sanitary items over the course of their stay and i gotta say that's that's nice to hear about you know because and particularly like in the west a lot of men they don't want to know about their girls and their wife's periods they're just like look that's your thing that's your area I support you and if you ask me to go pick up tampons for you, I will, but I'm going to feel awkward when I purchase them and I'm going to make a really weird joke at the counter about the size of the tampons that I'm purchasing and how that relates to the size of my penis. And then the lady at the checkout, the lady at Chemist Warehouse The young woman there who's just working this job over Christmas to bank a bit of money so that she can go on her Kentucky tour next year is going to stare at you awkwardly and wonder why any woman would ever fuck you. So at least Hamas is not making women feel awkward about that very natural part and that very necessary part of their lives. It's nice that they were prepared for female hostages. They were like, we got to have tampons ready. We got to have the pads ready it's actually quite progressive because in a lot of Western countries, like in Australia, we've been talking for years about how to lower the price of these sanitary, women's sanitary items. We've been talking about like not taxing them and making them more affordable because of course they are a medical necessity for a lot of women. And if they don't get them, you know, they are at risk of developing particular diseases. That's just a true thing. So, Here in the West, we're very behind when it comes to providing women with these sanitary items and making them accessible and available and affordable. But in Gaza, if you want to have all the tampons you want and all the pads you want, honestly, you could go worse than being the hostage of Hamas. So this old lady was really quite complimentary of Hamas and all of the women's hygienic products I had available. I will say this, lady was like in her 80s at least. So, I mean, if she's still menstruating, that's in itself a miracle. Nonetheless, it is nice that she had a comfortable stay with Hamas. She talked about how, you know, they ate the same food as the Hamas fighters, so they weren't given like shittier food. And she was there with her husband, one of these ladies. She was there with her husband. They released her and not the husband. I do wonder if that was the husband's idea. I mean, maybe the husband was like, hey, can you please just, at the very least, let my wife go, send her back to Israel. I want to know that she's safe. Alternatively, was he like, look, we're kind of on top of each other here in the tunnel. And honestly... (sighs) She's a bit She's a bit loud. She's a bit loud. Like usually when we're at home, we've been together for 60 years and God, I love her. She's the love of my life. But at home, you know, we kind of have our separate space in our home because it's kind of a nice larger house. Here in the tunnel, we've never really been in this much close proximity towards each other. Not since like lockdown, COVID, but have we been just, just been stuck together for so long. And honestly, that in itself almost ended the marriage. And I just think that any longer in this tunnel... We're not going to make it through. Our marriage is not going to survive this, this hostage situation. Can you please, for the sake of our marriage, just get her out of here? I would like a break. Because look, I know Israeli women, particularly old Israeli women. My grandmother was an old Israeli lady. She was old for as long as I can remember. She died a few years ago. God rest her soul. She was very racist, but that was cultural. She died a few years ago. She was an old Israeli lady and one of the most unpleasant people you'll ever meet in your entire life. This really kind of sums up my grandmother. Just a a spiteful, unlikable woman. And I say this with all due respect and all love. I know you don't speak ill of the dead, but what's she going to do? She's dead. So this is a true story about my grandmother. She was in an aged care facility And they would play bingo all the time. Like every day she'd play bingo and she loved it. And I went to visit her once and she was just overtly cheating in the bingo. Overtly cheating. And when she was caught by the other people at the bingo table, she faked having dementia. Like she had dementia, but she could kind of like turn it off and on. So she would, when she was playing bingo and she wanted to be lucid, she would just turn off the dementia and just play the bingo but then when she was cheating and she got caught she'd be she'd be like where am i who am i what is bingo i'm like fucking hell esther we all know what you're doing stop cheating in the bingo also she that's the kind of woman she was also i didn't call her grandma she didn't like being called grandma because it made her feel old i'm like esther you're 83 The doctor says you have four months to live. You're old. Just accept it. She's like, no, I'm not old. And don't you dare call me grandma. You call me by my name, Esther. So my grandmother, Esther Weitzman, she was an old Israeli lady and she wasn't pleasant. She wasn't pleasant. So I do think it's a nice show of goodwill from Hamas to release a couple of these older Israeli ladies I'm just thinking it might have been somewhat in their own interest. They're like, fuck me. This lady does not shut the fuck up. She's complaining constantly about the hummus. She says that she makes it better at home. She keeps saying racist stuff to us. It's really quite unpleasant. I I, I just think that maybe they send... It was kind of a win-win. They send her back... They get her off the cards and they also kind of look nice and they look like the good guys in the battle because it's all about looking like the good guys. It's all about just winning the hearts and minds, particularly of progressives. And right now, the progressives have really aligned themselves with the Palestinians. And and again, I have to distinguish between like Palestine and Hamas. and I, I get that. Hamas is this terrorist organization that runs Gaza. They don't represent, of course... Palestinians. In fact, I think that they kind of act against the interests of the Palestinians all the times. So I think that they uh, have provoked this war, and they wanted this war, and they're relishing this war because it's good for them politically to have a war. And the more of their own people who die in the war, for them politically it's kind of good. It kind of justifies their existence It ensures that they get more support from the public, etc, etc. So again, I have to distinguish between Hamas and the Palestinians because people are supporting... Palestinians are not supporting Hamas. I get that. I do get that. I just think that a lot of people are supporting the Palestinians and I'm just not sure if the Palestinians and their culture would support them back in return. Like, I'm just seeing a lot of like... I'm seeing a lot of like queers for Palestine and like LGBTQ for Palestine and gays for Palestine. Flags and stuff. And look... I'm not saying that Palestinians themselves are homophobic in any way, but what I'm saying is that Hamas certainly is. And if, if you're a gay person, you found yourself in Palestine, I'm just not sure if Palestine would be for you in return. But they do have, like, they do that side. They do have the progressives, they have the woke people on their side. I think if they really want to cement the support of the progressives, I think Hamas has to change its stance on the gays. I think that Hamas has to announce itself as an LGBTQ friendly organization. I think that they should I think that they should be like, hey, we wanna recognize that, you know, gay people exist, that they are real, that trans women are women. Unless, you know, they're they're Zionists, in which case they're dogs that need to be murdered. But Outside of that, we accept that trans women are women and we support the gays, we support same-sex marriage. I think that would be really good for them because that's kind of the big thing that Israel has over Hamas is that Israel, when it comes to gay rights, very progressive. There is a Mardi Gras in Tel Aviv. There is like a huge proud gay community in Tel Aviv, one of the most progressive LGBT probably the most uh, LGBTQ-friendly countries in the Middle East. Whereas there's not really a Mardi Gras in Gaza every year. Um, Hamas doesn't take to the gays very well. Um, usually they throw the gays off the roofs. That's kind of how they how they celebrate gay culture in the Gaza Strip. However, I just think that if Hamas were to finally because they don't, you can kind of hate the Zionists. And support the gays. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. So if I were Hamas and I'm trying to cement the support of the world, yeah, release the hostages. That's great. But maybe also come out and be like, yeah, like J.K. Rowling is a transphobe. Fuck her. And yes, of course, you know, transgender men, transgender women should be allowed to compete in female sports. Of course. I mean, of course they'd have to first let women play sport, but... Eventually, when they let women play sport, they'd be like, "Yeah, we also think that trans women should should compete in those leagues." It's all a, this this war is a PR war, more than a war war. So you've got to be winning the support of the public and the progressive left. They're a big they're a big chunk of the public. You got to get them on side if you're going to win a war. Hamas has actually had a bit of trouble this week because one of the other issues they're dealing with right now is they're being kicked out of the four seasons. They're So uh, Hamas often stay in the Four Seasons Hotel in Doha, in Qatar. And there's a lot of pressure now on the Four Seasons to kick Hamas out out of the hotel. And I mean, I just, I feel like if I were the Hamas guys in charge, I would kind of keep it to myself that I'm staying in the Four Seasons. Just because they're fighters, the guys who are on the grounds, they're right now in tunnels dealing with the complaints of elderly Israeli ladies. You the, they're, they're these dark, dank tunnels, and these old women are like, it's hot down here, Where's the, can you turn the air conditioning on? It's, it's unpleasant, and they're, it's, they're dealing with the, the conditions, they're dealing with the oppressiveness of that, they're dealing with these old Israeli ladies annoying them, and to find out that your leadership is staying you know in a five star hotel a luxury hotel in Qatar i think that would be really really uh, annoying it would make you like wonder well you know you, you wouldn't feel like you're all, you're all in this together so i understand the i think that if you really want to destabilize hamas let them let the leadership stay in the four seasons because that's going to damage the morale of the fighters on the ground they're going to be like well fuck this tunnel you know if the leaders are staying in the four seasons and i'm down here in a fucking tunnel this is bullshit this is not what i signed up for i'm not fighting unless you put me in a three-star motel i'm not staying i don't expect sure i'm just like a one of the ground soldiers i don't expect to be in the five star four seasons but surely something better than a goddamn tunnel underneath the Eros crossing surely we can do better than that So I think if you really kind of want to um, just wage some psychological warfare against Hamas, you should just be welcoming all these leaders into these five star luxury hotels. You should be offering them, you know, five star world cruises. Give them all this luxury, and then publish it on social media. And I think then the people on the ground will be will be very annoyed and frustrated, and they might decide to be like, "Hey, fuck it!" You know, this leadership is corrupt. I refuse to commit any more terrorism until they're back in the tunnels with me and dealing with the Israelis complaining about the tahini recipe. Let's move on, though, because I do think that there's only so much you can say about this conflict. We're all now waiting for a ground incursion, and that'll give us something new to talk about. That'll give us more atrocities to kind of uh in you know enjoy from afar the same way we watch a you know a fucking TV show. So we're kind of waiting for the ground incursion to start off. We've gone from, you know, paragliders shooting machine guns, babies being beheaded, water being cut off to two million people, a hospital being blown up, Israeli ladies being released, Hamas staying in the four seasons. Next, we'll be talking about the ground incursion. And then who knows what happens after that? Probably a lot more people dead. Let's talk about some uh, lighter news. Here in Australia, Year 12 students are currently undergoing their end-of-school exams. And they are facing some of the hardest and most oppressive exam conditions that we've ever seen because all these kids are addicted to vaping, right? So all of the tobacco companies realized that having a product that killed your, your consumers in tobacco and cigarettes, it's just not a good financial uh, decision because when your customers are dead... They're no longer giving you money, usually. So, what they've done is they, they've they pivoted to vaping. And vaping does probably kill you, let's be honest. But I think it happens a bit slower. And also, you kind of smell like blueberry. So, that's a positive. So, all these tobacco companies are like, okay, we can't, we can't, you know, we, there's too many laws now around marketing our deadly products that's kind of getting harder and everyone's dying and we they all everyone knows that cigarettes are bad so we got to start we got to get the kids vaping we got to get them vaping so they've gotten this whole generation uh gen z onto the vapes and they all smell like a different type of fruit which i think is nice you kind of walk into a school these days and you feel like you've walked into your local fruit shop it's quite uh, the aromas uh, because you know in my day, it would smell like, uh, you know, pheromones and, and sweat and and cigarette smoke. But now it smells like peaches and double apple. It's nice. It's, it's nice. And the issue, though, that the children are finding now is that they're all addicted to vaping. And when you go into an exam, it's often like a three-hour exam. And during that three hours, you're not permitted to... V- to vape, it's against the rules to vape during the exam. Now, I think that's a bit unfair. I think that's a bit unfair and I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, I don't think vaping, it's not cheating. It's, it's not like it's giving you some sort of advantage. I don't think vaping is like a performance enhancing drug. I mean, you got, if you want to stop the kids taking performance enhancing drugs, you got to tell them they can't take Ritalin and their ADD medication because that's what that is. All these kids now getting ADD diagnoses these two weeks out from their exam just so they can take Ritalin for a couple of weeks, you know, just cram all the information in their fucking head, memorize Shakespeare's much ado about nothing, walk in there, write it all out in three hours without blinking once and then move on with their lives. That is a drug that that is performance-enhancing. Whereas, I don't think vaping is It's nicotine, but it's not like a performance-enhancing drug. And ultimately, these kids are going into their exams already quite stressed. I remember my own English exam, for example, back in 2008, very, very stressful time. Like, I didn't really sleep much the night before. And, you know, I, I woke up just a bundle of nerves. I walked in there, I remember trying to write in the first 15 minutes when I was writing. I couldn't even write properly because literally my hand was shaking so much that I was struggling to just get the words on the page in a legible manner. Now, think about how difficult it would be going through all that. And on top of that, also... uh, Having a nicotine addiction that you can't satisfy. I mean, these kids are walking into these exams. They hit a they hit the vape just before they walk into the exam, and 45 minutes in, you know, they're just like like junkies. They're just like scratching their arms. They're they're willing to suck a dick halfway through their exam just to hit a bit of watermelon. So I think let the kids. Have their vapes. It's not performance enhancing. They're addicted to nicotine and it's not their fault that it's been marketed to them by these global corporations that are very clever, very manipulative. They know how to get the kids hooked on their product. They are just a victim of circumstance and now you're taking away their precious vapes from them. Let them vape. They really, I think, just let them, I think it should be mandatory. I don't think it should just be like let them vape. I think you should have to vape during the course of the exam, because that way, all the kids are going to be relaxed, it's going to smell nice. And I think the smell is really the, one of the primary benefits of this, because if you've ever done an exam in Australia, whether it's at school or at university, I'm not sure what it's like overseas, but in Australia, they always find the oldest, muskiest people to be the invigilators for the exam. I think they just go to the retirement home and they're like, who here doesn't have dementia? And are you free today? And they all have dementia, but they're like, oh, look, whatever. We'll take whoever. And they just wheel out these old, dank, crusty smelling people who, whose job it is to invigilate, which means that they just kind of like watch over you and, and make sure that you're not cheating. And I remember they would always, like, come and stand behind you and you would just smell this, the smell of, imagine what death smells like, just these old, crumpled people. And they just smelled old. And the smell in and of itself was quite quite distracting. Whereas I think if all the kids had a vape, it would just be, you could, you, you could hide the smell of these invig- invigilators and you could create a nice, relaxed, environment with some beautiful aromas let the kids vape they're addicted to it it's it's pretty much their entire personality now they look ridiculous doing it i know they look ridiculous i know it's stupid i know it's killing them but can we at least let them vape during the exam and then deal with this chronic addiction afterwards i'll be honest i am shocked that gen z are the generation to pick up vaping more than anyone else because this is the generation that is obsessed with looking cool and rebranding what cool is. Do you remember when millennials got very upset with Gen Z? Because Gen Z were mocking millennials for wearing skinny jeans. Gen Z were like, oh, skinny jeans aren't cool. You know, no one, none of you can pull them off. And you're meant to wear just regular jeans or wide set jeans or whatever. That's the new cool thing. And millennials just got all... All insecure, and we're like, no, we're we're cool. We're, we're, we will we Why are we taking fashion advice and advice from uh, advice about what's cool from a, a a group of seventeen year olds who are sucking on a, a little robot dick? Like, why are we? I mean, vaping is the least cool thing you could do. That's probably the thing that upsets me the most about the vaping outside of the addiction is like, if you're going to smoke, at least be cool about it. Like, say what you will about smoking a cigarette. It's pretty cool. It is very cool. You shouldn't do it unless you're like, you know, at the end anyway, you're going to die whatever. Like, if you get diagnosed with cancer, just start smoking. Who gives a shit? Don't smoke unless you're dying already. Don't smoke, but at least you are cool when you smoke. It's you know that's like you see you know in the movies they have sex and then afterwards someone pulls out a cigarette and they're smoking You're like that's that's the sexiest thing you could be at that time like having sex and then turning over and hitting the vape you'd almost ask to have your ejaculate returned i mean that's disgusting that's it's absolutely there's nothing there's no context where vaping looks cool. And the way in which millennials got embarrassed by Gen Z attacking our skinny jeans, why do we give a shit about what these idiots think? I mean, these are people who are sucking on an electric cigarette that's gonna kill them anyway. They don't look good and they smell like peaches. Why do we care what these people think? But good luck to all of them in their exams. I really hope that they are allowed to vape. Maybe, maybe in like the health exam, they shouldn't be allowed to vape. I just think there's too much irony about hitting the vape whilst being asked to write an essay about the dangers of va- vaping and nicotine addiction. That I, I can see there's a bit of a, a clash of ideas there, but otherwise, let the kids vape. Finally, we've got to finish off on what I think is a really relatable story. A story that I think we can all connect with something that we've kind of all thought about doing at least once in our lives. Perhaps some of it have done it. There's this bloke. He's an American guy. He's he's in Europe. He's uh, having a meal and he receives the bill. And when he receives the bill, he decides to fake having a heart attack to avoid paying for the meal. Now, he got caught, unfortunately. He did get caught. What happened was he got the bill and he decided to walk out of the restaurant without paying the bill. And the manager sees him walking out of the restaurant and says, hey, mate, you haven't paid your bill yet. And then this guy all of a sudden crumples to the ground starts flailing around pretending that he's having a heart attack and the manager was like well you're not I can tell you're not having a heart attack because uh, you're not you're fine and the guy committed so hard to having the heart attack that he literally was like call an ambulance I need the emergency I need emergency help and he gets rushed to hospital and he goes to hospital to commit to the bit. And, even, and then he gets to the hospital and they're like you you're not, you're not having a heart attack you've you know none of the tests show you're having a heart attack you just didn't want to pay for dinner and he was like yeah I didn't want to pay for dinner now we've all thought about doing that we've all tried that who here hasn't faked having a disease to getting out of paying for a bill i mean my uh, my grandmother fakes dementia to win bingo so people do these things all the time presumably I think it's just a sad indication of how bad the cost of living crisis has gotten that this man has looked at his dinner bill, has looked at the cost of spending a night in hospital and has decided, actually, I think that it would be cheaper for me to spend the night in hospital than pay for dinner. That's how, that's how bad this cost of living crisis has gotten that you You can order a three-course meal. Presumably, he had a three-course meal. I mean, if you're planning to have a heart attack to get out of a bill, you're you're not just doing an entree. You're doing entree. You're doing main. You're doing dessert. You're probably having a side and you're probably having drinks. Let's be honest. You're throwing in a few espresso martinis for $25 each. Of course, that's what you're doing. And he's decided that the hospital bill will be cheaper than the restaurant bill. Now... That's depressing, isn't it? it, it I want to live in a world where people don't have to fake emergency, uh, critical, acute drama to avoid paying bills. And what's fascinating, I was reading about this, man. He's done this 20 times. So this has worked for him 20 times. So he's been caught this time and he's probably going to get fined dramatically and perhaps go to jail. But I think overall he's up. Overall, he's up because this has worked 20 times, as it should. If someone fakes having a heart attack right in front of you, even if you know it's fake, you're not going to call them out on it. You're not going to be like, well, that's fake. Just because the risk of being wrong, you would err on the side of them having a heart attack and be like, oh, yeah, of course, go do what you have to do. You know, go leave the restaurant without paying your bill. Of course, if you're having a heart attack, you don't have time to pay the bill. So it's worth it 20 times. So overall, he's up. I kind of take the same approach to paying for public transport. I won't pay for public transport because I know that eventually I'll be caught. But by the time they catch me, I'm already up. I don't think I've paid for public transport for, at least in Australia, not for many, many years. Because in Australia, when you get on a bus or a tram, you can tell if there's a ticket inspector on the bus or the tram well before they get to you. Firstly, because it's always like an Indian dude... And an Asian man and a white woman, and uh, just all hanging out. It's like well that, and they're all wearing the same clothes. And you're like, well, that's they're not friends. They're clearly ticket inspectors. So you, they kind of give themselves away, and you just get off at the next stop, and that's fine. So I don't think I've ever been caught uh, fair evading, despite doing it all the time. So Overall, I'm up. So if I got fined tomorrow, I would just say, well, I'm still taking the W here because overall. I've saved money overall. So I guess what I'm saying to people is that you should start faking heart attacks if the cost of living crisis is really getting to you. Because I think most of the time you'll get away with it. And the one time you don't, I think you can just be like, yeah, okay. Don't go to hospital. I don't think you need to waste the time of doctors and nurses. You don't need to commit that hard to it. Just be like, yeah, you got me this time. And you pay that one bill and then you, you take the L that time. But overall... You're up. I would just suggest if you're going to fake the heart attack, do it when the bill comes. Don't try to leave the restaurant first. Because if you see the bill and then have the heart attack, then you can blame the cost of the meal on your heart attack. The reason why I had the heart attack was because I was so shocked that a chicken schnitzel could cost that much money that it caused me to have a heart attack. Also, having just consumed an entire chicken schnitzel, I was also very much predisposed to having some sort of cardiac event. So that way you can have the heart attack, fake the heart attack and blame it on them. So as you're having the heart attack, you'll be like, you did this to me because you gave me the schnitzel and then you've overcharged me in the shock and the schnitzel, it's made me kill over And they'll just feel so guilty and so concerned and so worried. They're not going to question your motives at all. They're going to be like, yeah, I'm so sorry. Please don't sue us. You know, you can go straight to the hospital. And all you have to do with that point is literally say, thank you. And then you just get up and calmly walk out of the restaurant because no one's going to stop you. So that's my advice. Fake having an illness. Fake having something fake an emergency situation when you can to get ahead. My grandmother did it and she was the reigning bingo champion at her aged care facility, three years running. Sure, she was a cheat. Sure, she was intolerable. Sure, she was insufferable. But my God, you never wanted to come up against that demented old lady in a game of bingo. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, give it a nice review. Tell someone about it so I can keep growing this podcast. It's quite fun to do. It's quite fun sharing my thoughts. I've also we've got some shows this week. I've got a show in Sydney on Thursday, the 26th of October. show in Melbourne on Saturday, the 28th of October. And then I will be in Munich on my birthday, the 30th of November. And I've got a show in London that's going to go on sale soon in December. Some stuff will be happening in Perth and Fremantle in January and February. Head to my website, Michaelshafer.com for all the details there. In the meantime, enjoy your week. I hope you have a nice free meal this week on me at your local pub. Good night.